Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast, coming to you live from the massive studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. You know, we've always said uh, this year we're going to we're going to do a bunch of Cloudcasts as we always do, and and as the the interest and demand around uh, serverless and functional. Uh, functions as a service and serverless, you know, continues to grow. We're gonna we're gonna mix in a bunch of serverless shows as well. So today we're gonna we're gonna dig into some more serverless technologies. And very excited to have Sebastian Goaskin, who is a founder of Skipbox, with us today. Sebastian, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. Good to be on the show. So you have been a friend of the show for a long time. You and uh, you and Aaron used to work on CloudStack together and, and a lot of different technologies. So. For anybody that doesn't know you, uh, give us a little bit of your background, you know, kind of what you've been working on the last couple of years around cloud and then what you guys are are doing over at Skipbox these days. Yeah, sure. Uh, So I um, I have a long history in uh, in open source and IT in general. Uh, I was heavily involved in uh, in research and uh, and grid computing, things like CERN and and transferring data to analyze uh, everything that was happening in the uh, LHC here in uh, in Geneva. I had the chance to work on uh, on CloudStack, you know, as a really uh, a follow-on to a lot of research that I did. So that was that was a lot of fun for uh, for several years, uh, working on uh, virtual machine uh, systems. And when uh, when containers picked up, um, I was really picked because you know mostly because containers had been around for a while, and uh, it was funny to see uh, you know this uh, basically a storm you know around uh, around Docker. So I. I picked up containers, wrote the O'Reilly Docker cookbook, uh, and doing so, I, uh, I discovered Kubernetes just when uh, Google got started writing it uh, in the open. So I decided to, to make a big jump and, uh, and found, uh, found uh, Skipbox to, to work in the Kubernetes space and, and develop software around, uh, around Kubernetes. Yeah, so give folks uh, who don't know Skipbox just a, a high-level overview of, of the areas you guys work on there and, and maybe some of the technologies that they may have heard of. Yeah, so first the name, you know, because pe- people wonder why, why Skipbox. So yeah. we we actually made a little bit of a you know a mishmash there between Skipper, the skipper of the boat, yeah, uh, you know Kubernetes being the the captain of the the container ship. So the skipper and toolbox, uh, because what what we wanted to focus on at the beginning was really onboarding new users into into Kubernetes and the the container ecosystem. Uh, so we decided to create a toolbox for Kubernetes. So some of the first tools that we did were uh, K-Machine, uh, which was a fork of Docker Machine, but allowed you to, to get a, a quick uh, Kubernetes standalone system. And then we did Compose with a K, uh, which basically allows people who, who have developed Docker Compose files to easily migrate to, to Kubernetes. And you know, we're very happy because we, we put that in the um, Kubernetes incubator, and Google got on board, Red Hat got on board, and it's been uh, it's been developed pretty pretty actively. So we started with this toolbox idea, uh, but really, you know, what what we want to uh, to do, you know, in the several years, uh, you know, in front of us is is really concentrate on the applications. You know, how is containers going to change the way we design applications, uh, manage them, package them, and then build those uh, distributed uh, application. <clears throat> right. So. Um one of the things that, uh, and I don't know if this is, I don't know if you guys consider it an official project or, you know, it starts as an open source project. So um, you guys have 
something out there now called Kubeless, uh, which is um, described as a you know a, a serverless framework for Kubernetes. And I, I want to we're going to dig into that uh, in some detail. But I want to I want to kind of get your two cents so far on on where you see kind of this serverless movement functions as a service heading. You know, you're you're in Europe. Um, obviously, there's there's a lot of meetups going on around there. But what are you hearing just around serverless in general in terms of uh, you know usage versus hype versus you know concerns people have? Yeah, so that that's a very good question. And uh, you know, I recently gave a talk at Config Management just after uh, just after FOSDEM uh, gave a talk on on serverless. Um, and the, the the biggest thing that I you know I want to put out there is uh, don't dismiss this uh, you know this new phenomenon. It's it's easy to to dismiss the hype and say oh yet another technology and so on. But we should actually pay close attention. Uh, Something that came up in, in config management was a, a talk by uh, Patrick Debois, who was you know known as one of the the fathers of DevOps. Right. And he started and he started talking you know instead of <coughs> serverless, he, he started talking about serviceful, and and to me that it really resonates. You know, it's this idea that now with containers and Kubernetes and OpenShift and so on, uh, and of course what we see in the cloud, you know, AWS, Google, and so on. Uh, when we design application, now we have to, to deal with services and we have to stitch all those services together. And, and to me, that's where lambdas and functions, you know, come into play because they're, you know, those really small uh, logical units that allows us to stitch all those services together. So maybe in, instead of serverless, we should talk about service full. Uh, and, and that's really where, you know, it's an evolution of uh, practice of how we design application and we have to you know keep with this evolution and, and change a little bit the way we, we design apps uh, so now in terms of uh, you know what people are, are saying definitely the, the serverless meetup in London is really big you got Ant Stanley over there uh, doing a great job <clears throat> and I was talking with Ant uh, a couple of weeks ago and he told me like uh, Nordstrom for example the shop.nordstrom.com it's entirely running on serverless. Interesting. Uh, yeah, so that, that surprised me. Uh, Thomas Cook, you know, as a, as a search, there is a little search capability on their website, and that's all running on Lambda. Um, so there, you know, there are things that are, that are popping up that are real production use and real big uh, companies <laughs> using, using Lambdas. He, you know, Ant even mentioned that Barclays allegedly has a 50-people serverless uh, team. So, you know, it's, it's real. Yeah, no, I, I, I could see, I mean, we, um, you know, as, as we've talked to some people, those were a couple of the use cases that we had heard people talk about, um, you know, single, uh, single page websites, uh, were, you know, possibly moving to serverless. Um, we had heard an example, uh, through one of the, uh, I think one of the Amazon events, it wasn't the big one, but one of the, the mid-year events people were talking about a company who had, you know, taken their search application, broken it down into serverless functions and were, you know, kind of decomposing it. So, yeah, I think I think we're going to see that more and more. I think it's always good to hear people talking about, you know, what are the actual use cases that are out there. So it's it's good to hear that. And yeah, we're we've I hadn't heard the Barclays one. I I know uh the Capital One folks are are uh, you know, spending a lot of time looking at serverless. Mm -hmm. Um so yeah, it's definitely something that's out there. Let's, let's dig a little bit into, into your project uh, that you guys have, have published as, as open source Kubeless. Um, you know, 
you mentioned you mentioned on the page. Look, there's there's some other um, you know sort of functions as a service serverless that are available to run on Kubernetes. Um, you guys have created this. Let's talk a little bit about the architecture. What's what was the purpose behind it? What what makes it sort of unique? Kind of walk us through you know the basics that you explain to people. Yeah, so you know the the, the basics really. Uh you know, started and and we got triggered on uh, on this when uh, and actually triggered is a good choice of word <laughs> with the serverless. Um, but you know, we were at KubeCon uh, back in November in the in the US, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, a, f- a few talks uh, you know got got my interest. One was from Brendan Burns uh, at Microsoft, one of the Kubernetes uh, founders. He gave a talk on compiling to Kubernetes. So this idea that you you write a code almost like a as a serial uh, app running on a single machine and you can compile and automatically it gets distributed. So that's that's an interesting concept. And then there was um, Craig McLucky uh, now at Heptio who uh, who said that you know he was really looking forward to see a serverless framework on uh, on Kubernetes. So we you know we came back from KubeCon and I was like. I mean, Kubernetes is the perfect platform to build a system uh, like this. Uh, so one of my guys came came to my house and we we, we sat down for uh, several weeks. You know, no, so, sorry, several days. You know, it was actually pretty short, and uh, and we got started building it um, because Kubernetes is basically a, you know an open version of Borg. Right. Uh, and when you see when you see Google with uh, Google Cloud Functions, it means that Google Cloud Functions is managed by Borg. So if we do serverless on Kubernetes, it makes total sense. Yep. Uh, so then, you know, what, what we did, we, we used something in Kubernetes little less known, which is third-party resources. And it allows you to actually uh, build up your own API endpoint. So I think that's that's one of the aspects that, uh, that makes Kubeless a little bit different than the other uh, solutions. So we leverage third-party resource, and that means that we can define what a, a function is. So now you can have, you know... Uh, you know, if you are a command line guy, you can do okay, cube control, get function, delete function, and 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 so on. Uh, and then once you have this, basically what we did is that we wrote a controller. So in, in Kubernetes, you know, you can write lots of controllers, and they're basically code that run inside the cluster uh, as a containerized application. And that that controller watches uh, those new API endpoints and and then performs actions. So in our case with Kubeless, uh, when we create a function, the controller detects that and then launches a container, and the function gets injected in the container and is being served over uh, HTTP or uh, uh, a published subscribe system using uh, using Kafka. So it you know it, it was surprisingly easy to uh, to to get started and and to set this up and we and we feel like you know by using third-party resources, the idea of a controller. Uh, using a containerized Kafka deployment, we're really leveraging everything that you can uh, that you can do with uh, Kubernetes. Yeah, no, it, and it makes sense. It's uh, it, you know the the framework within Kubernetes is is there to do this. Obviously, it it understands containers. It understands different types of jobs. How do you um, you know? Obviously, people always want to compare things to to Lambda because it's been out there for a while. They kind of have a sense of what that experience is like. Um, one of the things people like about Lambda is, you know, you don't really have to think about scaling, right? So if you throw, you know, if, if the function is sitting there and it gets 10 requests, it manages those. If it gets a thousand requests, it manages those. Um, how do you, 
how do you deal with that uh, from a Kubernetes perspective? Because Kubernetes, you know, has the idea that you sort of tell it what you want, sort of upper and, and lower bounds and so forth. Like, how do you go about doing that um, in, in sort of a kubeless world? So you don't have to think about you know, like scaling parameters. Yeah, yeah. So, so right now it's um, it, it's currently in development, okay. uh, and and what we have basically is that we've instrumented the runtime. So the runtime is basically you know what's what's running the um, the functions, and we've instrumented the runtime with Prometheus, uh, which is a, another uh, CNCF project. And, and then we are looking at the uh, horizontal pod autoscaler, uh, which is another uh, API resource in Kubernetes that you get, you get it out of the box, okay, when you, when you use Kubernetes. Yep. And, and the, uh, when, when we create the function, uh, the runtime is created in a horizontal pod uh, autoscaling group, if okay. you wish. Okay, that makes sense. And, and once, once you get more resources, you know, the... The, the count of the number of uh, requests is counted by Prometheus, and then we we scale the uh, the, the, the auto scaling uh, group. So the you know the the main idea is that Kubernetes is such a great platform to to manage you know standard application, but also to build systems that we want to leverage as much of the Kubernetes uh, primitives as we can. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It, it, and and you know what you're doing in terms of auto scaling, you're just sort of hiding that complexity uh, from you know from the from the functional from the function yep. builder. Yeah, so that makes that makes a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. Now um, the the initial uh, you know the initial piece that you guys have built, you use Python as the language that's supported. What's the you know um, you know we we saw this with Lambda. I think it, it initially came out with with Java, and then Python got added. Um, I've seen you know different. Um, frameworks for doing uh, serverless have, you know, they start with a language. What's the, I mean, this is, this, you know, containers and, and Kubernetes in essence are kind of language and framework agnostic. Is it just a matter of picking something to start with or is there, are there certain things that languages, frameworks that lend themselves better to, to serverless or what's, you know, like how, how should people look at this in terms of yeah. you know, their favorite language and so forth? So, so for us, it was really a, a choice of what we're comfortable with. Yeah. So when we when we started building Kubeless, uh, you know, my uh, my guy uh, is a Go developer, so he, he was taking care of writing the controller, and we already had lots of experience with uh, with writing controllers. So he was writing it uh, all in Go, and then I actually wrote the the basic Python uh, runtime. Uh, it you know, right now it's uh, it's relatively simplistic, um, but you know we went with Python because I, basically I know Python quite well, so you know okay. that was the that was the main decision. But you know that said, the, the biggest request we're seeing, and and we we got quite uh, quite surprised by the. Um, how Kubeless was, was received. We got, you know, quite a, a few people calling us saying, hey, we want to go with serverless on Kubernetes. We really like Kubeless, uh, but we want to see Node.js. Yep. So that that's probably the biggest request right now is like uh, Node.js runtime and then Java. Um, and that's that's mostly because people want to want to write uh, their functions in uh, you know JavaScript, right? Uh, you right. know mostly. <clears throat> yeah. So that's that's going to be the next uh, runtime that we that we put out there. Okay, yeah, and that and that makes sense. And and um, yeah, people want to do asynchronous stuff, and and um, Java is obviously in, in Node being huge in terms of popularity. What do you? But, um, but you know, 
yeah, Brian, if, yeah, if I can just add something, sure. you know, for me, the, the big thing, okay, is that those kind of on-prem solutions are probably going to struggle with, and I'm, you know, being very uh, open here, mm-hmm. um, is that with Lambda, you have all the services on AWS that are there, and those services can publish events uh, and trigger functions, Okay. Right. Uh, when we when we move on prem with something like you know even OpenWhisk or Function or Fission you know or, or, and Kubeless, the the real challenge and and where we're gonna have to work on as a as a community is making sure that the services that we deploy on prem in something like Kubernetes or OpenShift, those services need to be able to em- emit events. Yeah, uh, because that's that's where we're gonna be able to leverage and really take advantage of a serverless uh, kind of almost design architecture. Yeah, know? yeah, no, and, I, and that's that's one of the patterns we hear quite a bit is people saying, you know, when a when a database table gets updated, when a a file in an object store gets updated or deleted, like kick off a, a notification and then an additional action can take place, or you know, whatever yep. other service <clears throat> that might be. Um, so. Let's talk a little bit, you know, you mentioned some of the other uh, types of projects that are out there. Um, you know, we, we've had a chance to talk to some of them, OpenWhisk and, and Fission. And um, <clears throat> what do you, I mean, what have you heard? And, I, you know, I'm not looking for a, an answer per se, but, you know, having having the the community be sort of fragmented about this probably isn't great in terms of getting, res- I mean, it's great in terms of, Early ideas are out there. People can work on things, but it's it's not great long term in terms of you know getting people to to move a lot of things forward. What have you heard from people, you know, either from those communities or just in general saying, hey, you know, Kubernetes should have a you know a, a functional functional service uh, just like they have uh, you know stateful sets or batch or anything like. That. Where, where do you see this sort of evolving? Yeah, I th- I think this is all natural. Uh, it's you know it's a it's a new evolution. Sure. Uh, you know it's a, it's a it's an evolution of how we design applications, and we're seeing projects come out that allow you to do serverless uh, on prem. Um, so you know some of them there might be some consolidation uh, between the projects. Uh, some are gonna gain in popularity. Some are gonna fade away. Uh, you know I think it's all. You know, fairly uh, fairly natural. Um, you know, OpenWhisk moved to the Apache uh, Software Foundation. It's an incubation project, so I'm I'm very familiar with with ASF uh, and uh, and you know how it works. So you know, OpenWhisk has has that going uh, going for it. Uh, Fission, that's probably what's the closest to to Kubeless, and uh, and we've been talking with uh, you know with the developers of uh, of Fission. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some differences of architecture. Uh, you know, we use third-party resources and a controller and so on. Uh, they use, they, you know, they've done things a little bit differently to to minimize the the cold start. So there, you know, right now, to be honest, it's still at the uh, you know proof of concept uh, sure. stage. And I think, you know, as as things mature, uh, you know, we're gonna have a, a almost like a. Uh, an agreement on what is a good framework for serverless. What are the challenges uh, for serverless, and um, and then you know a, a solution will will come out which will you know bring all those those good uh, design decisions together. Yeah, yeah. No, and it makes and it makes sense. And it you know we, it's funny in our industry we get so wrapped up in, in new stuff. I mean, you're you're literally talking about uh, you know the 
KubeCon, the last KubeCon was in November, we're three or four yeah. months later, and it's like, why yeah. isn't this thing done yet? So yeah, no, it's yeah. it is kind of crazy. Um, but so yeah, we we have to you know we have to take our time and then uh, you know develop the system, get feedback from users, uh, you know, see what are the pros and cons, and then you know iterate. Uh, sometimes there is a little bit too much hype being put on like uh, new new tech and uh, and new software. Uh, so it's it's good to step back once in a while, take our time. Uh, but but you know the, the, the very positive things is that you know we are seeing uh, serverless uh, solutions or FaaS solution if you prefer prefer to call them as FaaS. We're we're seeing those solutions now and uh, and uh, and it's great. Yeah. Now and it's and I think it's good that we're seeing different implementations because you it you know you're going to get some real world results from these things right so yep. you know like you said not only is there going to be decisions about you know is third party resources and controllers a, a good way of doing this but you're going to have the you know the underlying like message buses you know is is Kafka the right decision should yep. we should we use yep. should we use nats should we use you know there's um so there's going to be different implementations there as well and I think it it's better to have People say, you know, this we, we've tried this and made this work versus making it just um, theoretical and so forth. So that's I think that's and, good. And and ultimately, what what will make those solutions successful is you know, if we have uh, you know once we have users actually going in production with a framework like Kubeless yeah. uh, on on a Kubernetes cluster running in prod. You know, that's the that's the ultimate uh, test and proof. You know whether uh, you know your ideas uh, has worked or not. <laughs> right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's. Uh, I'm gonna. We're, we're gonna sort of wrap this up a little bit. Uh, I want to ask you one last question. Get back to to Skipbox. What's uh, you know how are people engaging? I know. Um, you know, I sat through some of the talks around Compose at the last KubeCon. Uh, you guys have a bunch of different tools to help people make their Kubernetes successful. What do you, what do you, you know, how are people engaging around Kubernetes? What are you seeing as the things that people are successful with? Where are the pain points still um, in terms of the Kubernetes market? So, uh, yeah, the, the first thing that, you know, uh, I see is that the pace of adoption is uh, extremely fast. Um, you know, if we compare with the cloud stack, uh, I mean, definitely faster. Uh, you would probably have to compare with OpenStack in terms of uh, pace of adoption. Um, but but even then, I think that people are embracing Kubernetes much faster than other techs. Uh, they are willing to they're willing to jump and uh, and start uh, learning the system and and going with a, a POC, uh, you know, in, in on prem and uh, and so on. So that's that's the big thing. And uh, even in traditional markets. Uh, you know, banks or, uh, you know, security companies, uh, you know, you, you name it. So even traditional IT shops and, uh, and, and companies that, that need some type of uh, digital transformation, they're, they're adopting it and embracing it much faster than, than other stuff. So that's, that's the big thing. In terms of, uh, of pain points, I mean, we, Skipbox, we, we provide training and, um, and consulting, you know, as a, one of the one of the uh, businesses that that we have, you know, in addition to building software, um, <clears throat> but definitely people uh, they may struggle a little bit with <clears throat> installation of Kubernetes, mm -hmm. and and that's what we hear in the community. People say, "Oh, it's much more difficult than Docker Swarm, for example." Sure. Uh, 
Personally, I don't think it is because I've, I've spent, you know, the last 10 years working on, on big system, uh, you know, whether it's uh, CloudStack, OpenStack, Open Nebula, uh, Hadoop, you know, things like this. And those big distributed systems, they've always been uh, a little bit of a challenge to install. I, I actually think that Kubernetes is extremely easy to install. Uh, it has also been uh, extremely well uh, designed. Um, but... But that said, there are efforts like uh, KubeADM uh, that are making it even more easy to to install. And I, you know, when I when I do a training or I give a demo to people, I now I, I install a, a Kubernetes cluster, you know, small five-node Kubernetes cluster on DigitalOcean in five minutes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you know, all all of that 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 perception that Kubernetes is hard to install is going to fade away, and uh, and, and people will really uh, embrace it. But now. You know, and the reason why with Kipbox we started on Kubernetes and, and, and also what uh, containers are changing is that you stop concentrating on servers, uh, on doing basic SSH to server, administration of servers, and you start concentrating on the apps. And that's really, you know, that's really the big thing. So you get projects like Helm, that which was pushed by the, the guys from Dace and Bitnami, uh, you know, I think those projects are great because you can now deploy distributed application extremely easily. You forget about the infrastructure; it's a utility, uh, and you concentrate you concentrate on uh, managing your application, designing your application, and and giving value to to the users. So that's that's the big big shift. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and I, I think you know you highlighted, um, like you said, I, I think what we're seeing at least I'm seeing. Uh, a ton of of enterprise adoption, um, you know, kind of across the board. It's not just the the sort of Silicon Valley unicorns. Um, seeing a lot of different applications being put on Kubernetes. Um, yeah, a lot of work in the in the industry in terms of trying to make it easier to set up. I think the the whole Docker Swarm thing, you know, a year or so ago, kind of was a, a wake up call, and and people have done a lot to make it simple to get up and running. And yep. um, so, yeah, no, I, I I would agree with all of those things, and I think I actually saw a stat yesterday or the day before that said that uh, Kubernetes is actually now the number one most commented project on GitHub. So it's you know massive amount yeah, of community interest going on I, right now. Yeah, I saw that too. Uh, you know, so that's that's great to see. And definitely, like you like you said, uh, it's not a project for the the unicorn of Silicon Valley because there is terrific adoption in Europe. Yeah, uh, and, and it's not only London. You know, you get it in Germany, you get it France, Switzerland. Uh, so you know, those are what I call more traditional markets. And they're not uh, Silicon Valley, uh, you know, startups and so on. And I think that's a, that's a big difference even with things like uh, OpenStack. So I think that's, uh, that's great. Yeah, no, I would agree as well. So listen, uh, I'm going to let you go because you're, you're busy and we're getting uh, towards the end here. Thank you so much for, for everything today. Uh, if anybody wants to, to engage with you guys, um, you know, what's the best way to, to reach out to you, talk to Skipbox, talk to you? Yeah, ping us on uh, ping us on Twitter at Skipbox uh, or ping me directly at uh, Sebgoa on Twitter. Uh, you know, and uh, and we'll get uh, we'll get back to you quickly. And uh, you know, thanks for listening. I hope it was interesting. And uh, Brian, thanks for uh, having us. Yeah, no, absolutely. For, uh, so, uh, and folks, that's Skipbox with two P's. We'll uh, we'll get all the details in the show notes. So, uh, for Aaron and for Sebastian, uh, thanks for the conversation today. Thanks for listening, folks. And we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 